The failure to act with sufficient ambition to avert the climate catastrophe will be the greatest moral failure of our time. Making changes takes courage, and if we don't change things, we won't have a future. We need a president who respects science, who understands that the damage from climate change is already here. You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. Change is coming, whether you like it or not. Zero Carbon East Talk. Hello and welcome to Zero Carbonista Series 2. It's the manifesto. I'm Ian Collins. And for the rookies out there, this is the only podcast of its kind that will give you the real lowdown on all the major environmental stories alongside some honest and qualified opinion. Uh, fair to say many have tried. Few have succeeded. Our man with the wand of wisdom on each episode is Dale Vince. Dale, of course, the entrepreneur and environmentalist. He built his huge success in the green energy sector and is the owner of Ecotricity. Also for the uninitiated, he's the owner of Forest Green Rovers. And on each episode, of course, we bring you the dominating issues from the biggest agenda on the planet right now, the environment and climate change. Morning, Dale. Yeah, morning, Ian. Quite a bit to go through this week, I think, looking at what's happened in the in the world. There is. But can we start with beavers? Yeah, let's do that. This is great. What's happening? Well, Britain had its first wild beaver born in 400 years last week. And, um, you know, I tend to think that the destruction we've wrought on the environment has really kind of coincided with the Industrial Revolution, you know, call it 150 years ago or something like that. But 400 years ago, we killed off all of our beavers. We hunted them into extinction. And I do wonder what kind of country, you know, that we were living in that long ago, 400 years. What did Britain really look like when we actually still had beavers in our countryside? Yeah. They look like a lovely bit of kit, your beaver, but... <laughs> They'll take your throat out if you look them the wrong way, wouldn't they? I, I have no idea if beavers attack people. But, you know, they're, they're, they're my f- kind of favorite kind of rewilding outcome, really. I'm a, I'm a fan of the red squirrel, absolutely. I'm a big fan of rewilding. Uh, but the idea of being able to bring beavers back into our environment, for me, that's the most evocative, uh, you know, kind of idea that there is yeah. out there. I love it. Where do you stand on wolves? Because there is an effort by some who want, wolves to to be back as well safe distance i want to say first stand at a safe distance i absolutely would have your face on but i'm up for it i think the risk to the human population is is really rather small Uh, you know i mean they tend to avoid people and and you can understand why you know that i mean they're the predator in our ecosystem that we're missing you know that's 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 why deer are running wild in the highlands for example and keep you know preventing trees from growing back True. It's, a, it's a real problem. You know, we've unbalanced our environment. There are no predators in the environment now except humans. Um, and, yeah, uh, but then we get into things like bears, don't we? Because we used to have bears. Yeah, definitely. But I don't see anything wrong with that either, you know. Oh, we need, we need more wildness in our country, you know. We need wild areas where nature can do its thing. We should just live in a zoo, really, shouldn't we? We almost nearly do, I would say, live in a zoo. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of human zoo. There's no doubt about that. It's a great story, though. The first beaver born in 400 years is huge news. Yeah, it is. It is huge news, and it just makes me think. You know, kind of, what have we done? And and it was not as recent as the industrial revolution. You know, we've been killing off nature uh, for a long time. Like um, like Britain's rainforest. You know, I often refer to our rainforest and how we've lost it already, destroyed yeah. it already. And I didn't realise until a few weeks ago that actually the British rainforest is a thing, a Celtic rainforest. Wow. So it's it's a temperate rainforest rather than a tropical one, and it exists at these latitudes all around the world, and it's more under threat than tropical rainforests. But okay. they were they were kind of wiped out in the in the Bronze Age or something like that. You know, I mean, Dartmoor 
used to be full of it. Um, dart is the ancient Celtic word for oak, and temperate rainforests are dominated by oak trees and right. all kinds of unique flora and fauna that you just don't see. There are very few patches left in Britain now, and uh, we're uh, we're going to in the next few months pull together a bit of a campaign to. Uh, to save some of these rainforest areas and, and grow them again, a kind of, you know, saving Britain's rainforest campaign. Uh, but they're, they're beautiful places. I should post yeah. some pictures on uh, social media. We really don't want to be losing any of that, of course, or any more of that. Hey, I saw this headline, uh, which just kind of ties into something I think we probably mentioned every week at some point. But there is, I think, a need for clarity, not not from us, but from maybe our political masters out there. The EU is pushing to become climate neutral by 2050. Um, if I see another date, I'm going to go mad on this. You know, we've got 2030 for this, 2026 for that, 2051 for something else. Can, can you see the confusion here? For, for lots of people, the danger with all of these headlines is that this can very soon just brush over people. Well, yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, I, I got 2050 fatigue, actually, because yeah. it's, it's all you read about. And I think the story behind this headline is, is not a new target as such, because 2050 has been out there for a long time now. Yeah. Hopefully, it's that they're doing something material about it, you know, something significant. And the climate crisis, of course, has just roared up the agenda in Germany. I mean, they're having elections soon. And it's done so because of the extreme weather that's just happened in, in Europe, you know, flooding in Germany, Switzerland and Belgium that's killed like dozens of people yeah, where they sure. had in one area of Germany, they had two months rain in two days and nothing can cope with that. You know, everything breaks and goes wrong. Uh, houses have been washed away and collapsed and just, just, you know, mad scenes. And at the same time, on the other side of the Atlantic, America is being ravaged by wildfires up and down the West Coast. Uh, you know, kind of exceptional weather events of, of drought causing fires, and then the loss of trees is is um, is exacerbating that. You know, the, in the next season, because the land is getting hotter as the vegetation cover gets less, which is caused by the burning. You know, this this vicious cycle of desertification of the west of America is really quite incredible. Uh, here's a question from John. He says, "Dale, long-term listener uh, from Geelong in Australia and former Ecotricity customer before we fled the country. How on earth can someone like me uh, make the leaders here take climate change seriously? Do we have to stage a coup? Um, I'm only being semi-serious, he says. <laughs> I think the other day about the, the kind of real lack of the, the Aussie agenda in this respect. Yeah. What can we say? Maybe we should say good day, Bruce, first, but... You know, what do you do in, in a country like Australia to, to get the attention of some real kind of retrograde uh, politicians, you know, that, that just believe in continuing to coal mine and, uh, and kind of live these incredibly high carbon lifestyles? I think it was you, Ian, that told me that the Australians have the highest per capita carbon footprint of any people in right. the world today. Which is extraordinary. So what do and we do think, about that? I don't know. For some strange reason. And this is clearly a misplaced view, but because Australia, you associate with the outdoors and people being outside and the bush and the wildlife, you kind of have that sense that this is a place that looks after its outside. Um, and clearly that is a, a, a completely bollocks opinion to have because the politicians are not looking after their outside. Yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to understand how anybody can be so short-sighted. It's not like we're lacking any evidence or data 
that the climate crisis is here, that it's happening. It's happening big time in Australia, of course. You know, they've had a series of huge disasters, dust storms, fires, temperatures, all kinds of problems over there. I don't know why they don't get that and say, actually, <laughs> you know, this isn't right. This isn't normal for Australia. Maybe we should be doing something. But you've got to wonder if it's not just money that's, uh, that's talking over there. You know, I mean, the, there's a huge part of the economy vested in fossil fuels and the old bad way of doing things. And, you know, some people value money more than anything else. And, and this might be fundamentally the problem. Yeah, you could be right. Um, let's come back to a domestic agenda here. We, we talk about food a lot because, of course, it's, it's intrinsically linked with the whole environment, inseparable from the environmental agenda and where we need to be. Um, and this announcement this week, or this release of a report, uh, government commission report about food uh, and how we get people healthier, uh, but also how we get the planet healthier as well. It talked about sugar tax and salt taxation, prescribing vegetables and fundamentally eating less meat. Yeah, I mean, I would say it's a landmark report. Uh, they do recommend about a three billion tax on salt and sugar, which I think is quite exceptional. The uh, reduction of animal consumption is only around about thirty percent, which I think is exceptionally low. But you've got to start somewhere. So hey ho and. You introduced it as a government-sponsored or, or commissioned report. It's really interesting because Johnson's response was to say, actually, it's an independent report and I'm going to read it, but I don't really want to add taxes to hardworking people for salt and sugar. So I think we know which way this one's going to go. But wouldn't you just say to manufacturers, I mean, on the salt and sugar thing, you can't put that much salt and sugar into your pies and stuff? Yeah. I mean, if, if somebody was, you know, if Aunt Bessie was putting cocaine in her Yorkshire puddings, there would be an uproar. People say, well, it's very bad for you, this stuff. Uh, therefore, we, we don't think you should put it in your pies and your puddings. Uh, but salt and sugar, and we know that the, certainly with sugar, you know, the problems with that, and then the knock-on effect and obesity and all that goes with it. Surely it's a simple case of saying it would be illegal to put this amount of, you know, crap in, in certain foods. I mean, there are two ways to do it. As, uh, as you point out, it would be simple enough to legislate and say the maximum amount of salt, sugar and fat, by the way. The report seems to miss out fat because they're the three staples of highly processed food, salt, sugar and fat. And they're in there because they're addictive and they shout at our taste buds. They drown everything else out. They make normal food like vegetables just taste boring, which is why kids don't like them. And, yeah. you know, it is wrong. It's addictive. It's intentional. It makes you come back to the same product. And it's an arms race, you know, between those manufacturers of piling in salt, sugar, and fat to compete for market share. So, yeah, we could legislate against it. Or as the report recommends, we could put a tax on that stuff. So it just costs them more money to do that. Mm. Um, I, I actually favor your your suggested approach, you know, because we could we could tax the stuff and then they might reduce the amount that they put in or they might not. They might just put the price up. Well, you know, we have rules around planning permission. We have rules about what you can build, but, uh, but pretty much sod all about what goes into your gob, which is extraordinary. And yet simultaneously, we're always banging on about an obesity crisis. And of course, that's just one part of this pie chart, to, to coin a phrase, because there's the environmental side on this as well. It's interesting. We had a question from Ruth on Twitter. It says the national food strategy doesn't go far enough. Where's the focus on veganism for the planet? I don't think that was mentioned. No, I agree. And if you look at the agriculture and the food industry lobby and you look at the fossil fuel lobby, you know, they're incredibly powerful business lobbies and they do seem almost unregulated. You know, the fossil fuel guys can dump stuff into the atmosphere. They don't pay for that. We pay for that. And they're killing us with it. And the same with the, uh, the, the food industry and the agriculture industry. You know, where are the regulations for that? They're minimal and we need more. We need to do better. Yeah. 
Talking of things that people do that they shouldn't do, uh, Water Company continues to pump raw sewage into the sea after 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 a ninety million pound fine. I mean, d- does that mean companies don't give a hoot about a fine? They certainly don't give a hoot about regulations in the water industry because this is the story, I think, of Southern Water. And for years, they were deliberately dumping sewage into holding tanks, waiting for the next time it rained and then just dumping it into the sea. They had the sewage treatment plants running permanently at 50% capacity so that they could save money. And they got caught and they were fined 90 million quid. Sounds like a lot of money, but they make about 250 million quid a year. I think they should have lost a year's profit at least. Otherwise, it doesn't put them off. You know, they've been doing it for years. They were affecting the coastal fishing industry, you know, uh, bumping off mussels and stuff like that. Uh, you know, with this vile pollution that we're just dumping into our sea. I mean, this is what companies do, isn't it? I mean, where where I live, in fact, kind of the end of my garden, really, which was this lovely sort of verdant expanse of trees and bushes. Then a couple of years ago, some character comes along and says, I think we can build two houses there. Okay, there's quite a lot of trees around. Um, and so they did a little, you know, the council did a bit of a recce on it. And they said, yeah, you can build two houses. This is an area that doesn't need two massive houses, by the way. You know, Lego kind of houses, um, and they said you can do, but you can't cut down. You can only work within this this framework, so you can't cut down those trees there because they're all protected. And um, there were about twenty of these trees, so the company cut down the trees and then got fined, you know, six hundred quid a tree. And they didn't give a shit because they're selling the houses for one point five million. Yeah, I mean, so it's worth breaking the law. Because the, the the profit is still there. It, it doesn't even touch the site. Yeah, it comes back to that same basic point I was making about Australia. You know, some people put money before anything else. And then, yeah. of course, when that happens, we need the law to, 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 to prevent that, you know, like the law on uh, processed food, for example, the law to yeah. protect protected trees properly, you know, to make it properly painful to cut down a protected tree, not just a, an expense, yeah. you know. Can't we just, like, shoot the boss if this happens like kind of wild west now <laughs> you know if you pollute again we will shoot you that would stop yeah a bit drastic that i mean i think we could we could do a lot better before going that far um we could take southern water back into public ownership take their water off you there's a proper threat you know let's have it back in public ownership and let's run it properly in the public interest yeah indeed this from ed on twitter great result for forest green against melksham any more players signing before the season? Tell us more, Dale. Yeah, no, we're done in terms of player signings. We like uh, we like the squad that we've got. And yeah, Melksham was a great game. There lovely people up there. That was uh, Tuesday this week. And uh, it was 6-0 Forest Green. You expect to win because it's a team three leagues below us, but it's not about the win. It's about how, how we play. And for both teams, yeah. it's a chance to warm up for the season. So it was a good oh. game, competitive, uh, fun to watch. Uh, good to see our new players on the pitch. This is what preseason is yeah. all about. That must be a great moment as somebody who, whose club it is to go, right, we've invested here. We've looked at you know what we think we can improve on and we've got these new players to actually see all of that manifest on a football pitch uh, and see what, what you've got now 
for the next season must be a that's a moment right yes a pre-season is is always exciting for fans I would say and in our case this pre-season we're also taking a look at our new head coach and assistant coach uh, and seeing what they've got and uh, that's that's looking pretty exciting as well you know in terms of the the tactical approach to the game now here's a story about our coastline we were talking about the the, the beauty of this country Uh, you've ever seen that program coast where they just go around the uk looking at different you know essentially the entire perimeter of our country and you just don't give credit for the outstanding beauty of this place um it's just phenomenal it's just breathtaking when you when you see what we have there. And I was disturbed to read the story that areas of Wales are sleepwalking into oblivion because of coastal erosion. Now, you know, coastal erosion is a thing. It's not new, but sleepwalking into oblivion, that's quite a dramatic headline. That's a dramatic headline. The thing that shocked me more in world news is the news that the Amazon is now producing billion tons of CO2 a year. It stopped being a net absorber some years ago. This is a result of a 10-year study flying airplanes at 4,500 feet over the same spot for 10 years. And the Amazon is producing more CO2 than it absorbs, which is a scary place. Because since the 60s, rainforests and places like the Amazon absorbed have absorbed a quarter of all carbon emissions from the fossil fuels we've been burning. We've been taking it for granted that that's been happening. It's not happening anymore. And it's not just about the fires that are being set deliberately f- for animal farming, uh, but there's a kind of negative loop of less trees in certain areas of the Amazon leads to less rain, which leads to more natural burning as well. There's this same kind of thing that's happening in America, this kind of negative feedback loop, really. Um, finally, a question from Fiona, who says, Dale, really enjoyed your live chats on Facebook earlier this year. Are there plans for any more? I, I'm not aware of any, but um, I enjoy them as well. So, you know, if we can squeeze some in, we will. Definitely. We did one, didn't we, as well? We did one together. Yeah, we did, yeah. We should do another one. I think I was in my neighbor's shed. Do you remember? I had a pow- oddly I had a power cut. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're having a chat with the boss of a, an energy company, and I had a power cut. Nothing to do with ecotricity, yeah, I should no, add. No, no, um, I'm sure he wasn't our customer. Yeah, absolutely. But the next door neighbor didn't have a power cut, which confused everybody. So we think he might have been behind it out there with a spade cutting something he shouldn't have cut. But yeah, they were fun to do. And, um, Yeah, watch this space, I guess, is the message. Definitely. I'm up for it. Good work. Dale, we'll speak next week. Yeah, nice one. See you, Ian. Have a good one. That's it for this episode. Don't forget, of course, to follow the podcast from your podcast provider so that you get each new episode automatically. Do leave a review there as well. If you want to get in touch, you can email zerocarbonista at ecotricity.co.uk. Really important bit, of course, is to follow Dale on social media. That's twitter.com slash dalevince, facebook.com slash dalevince. Zero carbon east off.